Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Heavenly Father, please exalt your Son in the hearts of your people through an imperfect speaker who uses your perfect word because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes all this possible. In your name, amen. So now we are we're continuing in our series called Reform. We've done a lot of messages. Now we're getting into the sacraments, uh, baptism. We're doing two messages on baptism. And for those of you who think that this is going to be the, the baby baptism message, it's not. Um, and some of you are like, what are you talking about? You have to be here for a few weeks to understand what I'm talking about. Um, we don't do theology in this church by looking at a, like with a microscope at passages in Scripture. The way we do theology in this church is by looking at the whole Bible and the theology of the whole Bible. And as we do this big bird's-eye view of theology, then we go in and explain specific elements from that big picture. So this is going to be a big bird's-eye picture of baptism. And there'll be some elements where we talk about the you know, kids and whatnot, but mainly it's just going to be the big bird's eye picture. Another thing I need to say about this message is that we're going to talk about circumcision a lot. You say, why would you talk about circumcision in a message about baptism? Because as we've been learning in the church that we believe in one covenant of grace that has existed throughout the whole Bible. So God's redeeming, saving covenant did not begin in Matthew or in Paul's letters. It has been in the whole Bible And it has been administrated in the whole Bible. So in the Old Testament, the signs of entrance into God's unconditional community was circumcision. And after Christ, the signs of that covenant of grace are baptism. So Paul uses both these terms interchangeably to refer to the same reality. Just one sign was pointing to the work of Christ before Christ. The other was pointing to the work of Christ after Christ. So that's why we refer to those things that we talk about. Uh, something else, uh, you know, now getting into the message. What is this thing about sacraments? Why do sacraments matter? Why does baptism and the Lord's table matter? Um, I think that uh, these are things that, and, I mean, you, you can go to a lot of places where it's like, oh, we just do it. And, you know, because it's just something that we do. Nothing's really going on here. It doesn't really matter. Yada, yada, yada. Or, or, or some places where we don't even see the Lord's table celebrated, like, but like once every like six or eight weeks. What do sacraments matter? Well, let me tell you why sacraments matter. Sacraments matter because we're little kids. So you know how little kids, the only way they can understand realities is through pictures that they can touch and see? Right? Well, the only way we can really truly comprehend the gospel is through God condescending and giving us pictures that we can make see the gospel visible, like baptism and the Lord's table. So we learn, we are built up in faith as we have these signs and symbols to little kids like us about the gospel. The signs are about the gospel. They're not about anything else. Um, and, and I'll say one more thing before I get into it. You know what the problem in the church is? is that we understand the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's table, in a way that's different from the gospel. So if we have an understanding of the sign of the gospel that's different from the gospel, what happens to the gospel because of that sign? It's made less clear. 
So we need to understand the signs, now we're talking about baptism, in light of the gospel that it points to. We can't have a view of baptism or the Lord's table that has nothing to do with the gospel. You understand what I'm saying? So here's how we're going to unpack this idea of how we as kids need little pictures to bring us into the gospel realities that are behind the pictures. We're going to unpack about five things. First, we're going to understand that the sacraments of baptism, sacrament of baptism needs to be understood in light of God's covenant. God's promises is the way we understand baptism. Second, we need to understand baptism in light of its theocentric, God-centered perspective. So we need to understand baptism in light of its God-centered purpose. Third, we need to understand baptism in light of its faith-qualified reality. So how do we understand baptism? Covenantally, God-centered, and through understanding the whole faith worldview. Fourth, we need to understand baptism by understanding the local church, the, the church picture. And fifth, we need to understand baptism by understanding its place in the end of time. And you can say it another way, fancy eschatology. How do we understand baptism in light of the fact that it points to the end? So how do we understand baptism? It's covenantal, it's God-centered, it's faith-focused, it's church-focused, and it talks about the end. You follow me? You're like, no, I'm not. Sorry. So, so first, first, if we're going to understand baptism rightly so we can get the gospel and see the gospel through baptism, we need to understand it covenantal. That's the first main heading for you guys who like to write and like points. Tanya. Like, I think everyone else. No, no. Does anyone else here write? Okay. Less. All right. Two people. So what does it mean to understand baptism covenantally? First, it means it's baptism is about how God sees his promises and works. Baptism is about how God sees his promises and works. Look what it says in Genesis 9.15. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow that is in the clouds, I will see the bow in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and living creatures. You say, uh, you just talked about Noah and the ark and the bow in the sky. I thought this message was about baptism. You want me to read another text that will show you how this connects? 1 Peter 3.19. In that state, talking about Noah, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. I'm talking about Jesus. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few that is eight people were saved through water. Baptism which corresponds to this. To what? To the story of Noah. Now saves you. Not through the removal of the filth of the flesh, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God for the resurrection of Christ. So according to Peter, the story of Noah is about the gospel, the work of Christ. And so when we see God talk about Noah and the waters that drowned the world, Peter is saying that was a historical story pointing to the work of salvation in Christ now made visible by the waters of baptism. You see the connection? I'm not dancing around and doing like, like, you know, um, Jedi-like tricks for you. But we understand something about God's baptism in the New Testament as we see things in the story of Noah. So let me give you a picture that may help. It's about this, the, the idea that baptism is understood about what God promised, how God sees his promises and not about other things. So I am taking my kids to Legoland, okay? 
And if I want to remind myself that I'm taking my kids to Legoland, I buy the ticket and I put a ticket on the refrigerator. I, it's really, I mean, my kids see it every day, um, but they don't really pay attention to it necessarily. They're not necessarily aware of it. But I put the picture, uh, I put the ticket of my promise that I bought to bring the kids to Legoland so I can remember every day of what I'm going to do for them. You follow me? So what, 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 what uh, Peter is saying is that baptism is more about God seeing his promises that he have made to you as opposed to you seeing the promises or something about you. God sees his promises that he has made for his people way better than we see them, way better than we act. And because God sees his signs, the sign of baptism perfectly, which points to his son's work perfectly, him seeing his work is how we're secure. Let me give you an example. Two, two people get baptized. One of them is after they get baptized, they're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I trust him, but, like, you know, I, I really feel like, um, uh, like my, my identity is really bound up in, in uh, you know, my job and my family, but, 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 but I trust Jesus. That's the one person that got baptized. Here's the other person that got baptized. Man, Christ is my only hope. I have no doubts in my mind that he is everything I trust in. Which one of those people is baptism is significant and saving? Both. Because it's not about how well the person sees the gospel, but it's how well the Lord of the gospel sees his promises over his fickle people. So we have imperfect faith, we have wavering faith, we have inconsistently, but God in baptism sees his work of grace perfectly so we're secure. So baptism is more about God seeing his promises and less about you seeing yourself see his promises. And that's good because my eyesight is jacked up, not looking at the gospel rightly, but God sees his work perfectly. So that's what I mean when I says it's understood covenantally. It's about him seeing his promises and works firstly. Him remembering his works, not that God forgets. You know, God's not forgetting. He needs signs. So secondly, this means it's about God's promises to us not ours to him. So the first one is he sees his promises. Second is that God, it's about God's promises to us, not ours to him. Let me read Genesis 17. So this is the Old Testament administration of God's saving grace. So in Genesis 17, 3, Abraham fell, fell down and God spoke with him. God says, as for me, my covenant is with you. You will become a father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abraham, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful, and I will make nations of kings come from you. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring. What's missing from all that conversation? Abraham. Abraham is missing from that conversation. It's all God telling Abraham what he's going to do for Abraham. And later, Abraham is given the sign of the gospel, which is circumcision in the Old Testament. But according to Abraham and according to us, so baptism is basically all about not just God seeing his promises perfectly, but God making promises to us. So let me give you a picture. You know, you know the sticky note? You write down 
on a sticky note all the things you're going to do, right? That's how we see baptism. That's how it's in the church. It's all these wonderful promises, all these sticky notes that you've made for God. Which is why every single baptism testimony is all about the people and all the things that they now do for God and want, will do for God. But let me give you another sticky note that's more representative of baptism. You know those sticky notes that moms give their kids? What are the sticky notes that mom gives your kids? It's basically like lunch is over there. I packed your snacks over here. Mom's sticky notes all about her doing things for their kids. That's the baptism sticky note. Baptism is not a sign of all these commitments that I will make to God, but baptism is a sign about all of God's commitments to you, beloved. Oh, I promise that I will be this kind of person. I promise that I will stop doing that. I promise that I, I promise that's not what baptism is about. Baptism is about God saying to you, I promise that my grace in my son will be enough. I promise that my blood of my beloved son will cover and cancel all of your sins. I promise you, beloved, in this sign that I will never, ever, ever stop loving you. In your most unlovely day, I promise that the power of the gospel has given you a status and a freedom from sin because I promise it. Baptism is saying to us that I promise to you, beloved, that the obedience of my son is so good that it will be credited to you irrespective of your obedience and it will take you all the way home. That's what baptism is saying to the church. It's God saying, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, not us getting up here and making a bunch of promises. All the promises that we make, God, we will break. So baptism is understand covenantally, which means it's about his promises to us, not our promises to him. So first, covenantally. Second, theocentrically, God-centered. Covenantal, God-centered. The second way we understand baptism is it's God-centered. So what does that mean? Well, I say a few things. It means, firstly, that baptism is about God entering into judgment on himself. Baptism is about God entering into judgment on himself. And he's like, what, man, what are you talking about? Let me read Genesis 15, 8. We can do a lot of reading today. Is that all right? Can we read Genesis 15, 8? But he said, this is Abraham, Lord God, how will I know that I will possess it? How will I know I'm going to get these promises? God said, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these to them. He split them down the middle and laid the pieces off at each, opposite each other. But he did not cut up the birds. The birds of Craig came down on the, on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Listen, listen, this is very important. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and suddenly a great terror and darkness descended on them. So God is about to do a covenant ceremony about the way that Abraham can relate to God. And he puts Abraham to sleep. You follow me? That means... That what's about to happen in the way that this covenant, this relationship is going to be ratified has nothing to do with this dude because homie is sleeping. So later in the verse, it says, when the sun had set and it was dark, 
a smoking fire pot, that's the presence of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham because of what God would do for Abraham. Because the whole ceremony, Abraham sleep, he's knocked out on his rock or whatever, and God walked through the ceremony saying that these, in the same way that this relationship is built by blood, by sacrifice, it is God himself who will be sacrificed to, to institute this relationship. God will do something to himself for Abraham to have a relationship with God. You follow me? So this is why Paul says in Colossians 2, listen, 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 listen what Paul says in Colossians 2, where he talks about circumcision and baptism. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. So Jesus Christ was the one who was cut off for God's people to have a relationship with God. You were circumcised in the circumcision of the Messiah, having been buried with him in baptism. You also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raises the dead. So, beloved, baptism is about what God does to himself for you. Here's a picture. It's a, it's, here's a picture of, of, a, of a criminal. Uh, he's on, he, he's, he's before the judge, and he's being dealt with for his crimes. And the judge says this, look, I'm going to give you a sentence in jail. I'm going to give you fines and community service. And it is true that that, that criminal then gets free. First scenario. Beloved, that's how we oftentimes in the church see baptism. It's something that God is doing through us, with us, as a partner with us, which then leads to our salvation. But let me give you a second picture that paints it better. It's me being before the judge, you being before the judge, and you're guilty. And the judge says to you, listen, I'm going to step off my seat. Well, actually, I'm not going to step off my seat. I'm going to have my son, who is God incarnate, Come in and take your judgment for you, be punished for you, be electrocuted for you, and every single thing that I do to my son will be as if I did it to you, but I'm not going to do it to you. So, so we're saved, beloved. We have forgiveness, beloved. We are right with God because God did something to himself. He judged himself in Christ. He was cut off. He, and in the Old Testament, it was circumcision which said that someone needed to be cut off for our sins, and that's Christ. In the New Testament, the sign says someone must be drowned under the waters of God's judgment. So Jesus Christ is the one who then in himself is judged and drowned and cut off under the fierce wrath of God so that we could never, ever experience God's judgment. That's what baptism is about. It's not about you doing things with God's help. It's about what has God has done for you in Christ, not because of you. Because baptism is about God's things that he has done to himself to save us. It's not about us doing things for God. It is him focused, not us focused. There's two more things I want to say about baptism being a sign that's God-centered. And that's, it means that we're entrusting ourselves to God's verdict. We're entrusting ourselves to God's verdict or judgment. Let me read Colossians 2.8. More reading. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit 
based on human traditions. So he's saying, yo, be, be careful about all the judgments and evaluations of humans that have nothing to do with Christ. Based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with the circumcision not done with hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in the trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligation that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. So basically, God is saying that baptism is all about me, which means it's about me making judgments over you, not about you placing yourselves under the judgments and verdicts of the world. Let me give you an example that may help. Are you guys familiar with a kid who has a mom who tells him he's amazing and he's not? Like, he's like, he's just, you're the most handsome child in the world, and, and you're so smart and intelligent, and they're not. But, but how, how, how do they walk around around everybody else, even though they're not? Like they are. Some of y'all ladies have dated guys like this. They had a mom who spent their whole life telling them they were the bomb, and they're just a bunch of bums. But they have that swagger that has nothing to do with them. Now, look, I'm not over here trying to beat up on guys. I'm trying to make a point. Beloved, baptism is a sign that says that God's verdict over you because of Christ for you is what defines you, not because of anything in you, like that silly kid who has all these crazy verdicts from his mom. You understand what I just said? Kevin did. Baptism... Is God's verdict over you, not because of anything in you, but because of Christ for you. And so you have this status that is based upon God's decision over you in Christ, not because of you. So this is what it looks like. You think, you want to think you're okay because your mom or your dad has given you the okay sister, okay stick, okay verdict based upon how much of a kid you are. You want to be all right with God, or you want to be all right as a person, based upon how society gives you a verdict, based upon how your body looks, ladies. You want to be okay based upon how the, his, you know, the Hispanic culture, how are you all right in the Hispanic culture? You got a good job? You go to school? You got a nice house? That verdict is what you want to be defined by. We want to be defined by all these verdicts or, or, you know, men, we want to be defined by how strong we are, how much money we have, what kind of job we have. We have all these verdicts that want to define us. And what God is saying, there's only one verdict that defines reality. There's only one verdict that is significant enough to save you and secure you and keep you. And it is God's unconditional, unprovoked verdict that he has pronounced over you in baptism that has nothing to do with anything you do. In the same way that bratty kid thinks of the bomb because mom tells them statements that aren't true, we are like that. Baptism tells us that we're the bomb and we're not, but it's all right because Christ, our brother, was the bomb for us, and we get credit for that, and we get that verdict. I feel like I'm like I'm like doing like a like word. What is that? What is that stuff called? Spoken, <laughs> spoken word up here. 
So we entrust ourselves to God's judgments in baptism, not the judgments of the world. That's what defines us. There's one more thing I want to say about baptism being God-centered, and that it means that we're, we're, it's about God placing us in the domain of his rule. It's God placing us in the domain of his rule. Matthew 28, 18. Now like, oh, now you have a, a New Testament text. Here, there you go. <laughs> then Jesus came to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Before, before Jesus commands to baptize, he says, I got this kingly-like authority, meaning that baptism is something about placing us into this big domain, this massive kingdom that is all Christ-centered. It's, it's, it's not, here's a problem, is that oftentimes we see baptism more like, it's just like this personal testimony, it's this me thing, it's this I, I, I thing. But beloved, baptism is God-centered, which means that it's all about God placing you in his rule and domain, not about you having a nice, be a better you. Yes, baptism is about you being a better you, but it's not about you being a better you. It's about you being placed in this big, huge kingdom known as the kingdom of Christ. Let me give you a picture that may help. Um, So I have a daughter, and daughter seems to be totally uninterested in everything else about my life that's not me being dad. You understand what I'm saying? She doesn't care that I'm a pastor. Her being, me being her dad is what defines that most. She doesn't care that I'm your pastor. Like, Abriella, Papa's, you know, a pastor. You're my dad, whatever. She's not interested in the fact that I'm even a husband. Me being her dad is what trumps that too. She's not interested that I'm a Cuban-American. She's not interested that I'm an American. She's not interested in any of these categories because that kingdom, the kingdom of daddy's daughter, is what trumps every other kingdom and thing. You see where I'm going? Beloved, baptism it means that your life now is not mostly defined by the rules and ideas of your family. Oh, isn't that hard to say in Miami? Where everything is about the family. Everything revolves around the family. But if you've been baptized and you believe in your baptism, this means that the kingdom of Christ now is hanging over and it's like this, you know, the black hole. It's like this massive power that sucks everything. The black hole, the gospel pointed to on your baptism sucks family into that. Or we think, you know, like, oh, I, 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 I got to be defined by, by my culture, you know, by, by, by my generation, you know. I got to be defined by the fact that I'm a woman or I'm a man or I have this last name or I have these kids or I have these parents. And it's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm sorry. Baptism says the vortex of the gospel has sucked all these things into the bigger world, the bigger reality of the kingdom of Christ. Now, everything in your life, family, job, career, culture, city, nation, country, ethnicity, race, whatever, has been brought into this supreme reality of the kingdom. And now everything in your life, all these things now are mostly defined by the kingdom. This is why, like, you know, for Abriella, like, it's just, it's just about daddy. 
baptism says it's just about your daddy and his business, and everything else is brought into that. So it's God-centered. It's about him judging himself for us, what he does for us. It's about his verdicts over us, and it's about his kingdom, which rules and reigns over us. So that's what it means when I say it's God-centered. Thirdly, it's faith-focused. It's faith-focused. So let me, let me read a text that may help with that. 1 Peter 3.21 says this. I'm going back to the same verse. Baptism, which corresponds to this now, saves you. Listen, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. So the fact that you got water on you, sprinkled, or you got drowned, whatever, doesn't matter. The fact that the water removed dirt is not what is most significant. But a pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Christ. So Paul is saying, baptism only has saving significance, not no significance, but saving significance if you believe in what your baptism points to. Second text, Acts twenty two sixteen. And now why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. You see that? He says, Peter, be baptized. Paul, be baptized, but you wash away your sins by calling on his name, not by being immersed by water. Let me give you a picture that may help. Am I married because I wear a ring? A ring? No, I'm not married because I wear a ring. I'm married because this ring points to a bond and a covenant that I have entered with a woman who's crazy enough to do it like Rebecca. Yeah, yeah, I said it. Um, and that's pretty much the same for every guy here who has a normal wife. Um, <laughs> so I'm not married because I have a ring. I'm married because of what this ring points to. Beloved, baptism is not some magical ritual that because you're baptized, it means that you're saved. You know, I think we, we see baptism as this morally righteous act, like this magical substance that unlocks grace. It's like this kind of like, you know, grace dispenser. So, you know, I, I've had people come up to me and they're like, my life sucks. I think I need to get baptized. So it's like, oh, all right. I'm in Mexico. I'm el mágico cristiano pastor. In the, in, the, in the pagan world, you go to the, to, the, to, the, to the witch doctor to fix your life. But now in the Christian world, you go to el mágico cristiano pastor. All right. Put water on you. Problem solved. No. No. Baptism only has saving significance if you believe in the God behind the sign of baptism. So you baptize your kids, it does not matter if they don't place their faith in that sign. And if you adults have been baptized, it doesn't matter unless you place your faith behind the sign to the works of Christ that that baptism points to. Water never has saved anybody. It's not so, that's why, guys, the timing of baptism is not what's most important. It's the Holy Spirit empowered faith in the baptism which is most important. Because baptism calls us to faith. But let me say something else. Baptism is not a sign of your faith. You hear that all the time? Show me one text in Scripture where it says baptism is a sign and seal of your faith. Please. I'll repent here in dust and ashes. Baptism is a sign of the gospel that is calling you to faith. But it's not a sign of faith. You see the difference? 
Baptism is about the work of Christ that calls you to faith. It's not a sign of your faith. It's not a sign about you at all. So it's calling you to faith. And beloved, this is so important because what happens, what happens in the American church and Miami church? How many times do we get baptized? Why? Why? Because the idea is that baptism is not calling me to trust in the works of Christ. Baptism is calling me to be more spiritual and be more better for Jesus. And then when I have more bitterness for Jesus and when I have more commitments for Jesus, then I get watered again. Beloved, but baptism never calls you to essentially do things for God and be more spiritual. Baptism, according to Peter, is calling you to trust in the works of Christ. Not trust that now you've committed to God more and been more spiritual and got to a higher spirituality and now you get baptized because you're more spiritual. No, baptism is always, always calling every single person to trust in the God behind the baptism who has worked for you in Christ. Because it is a sign that is essentially pointing us to faith produced by the Holy Spirit. So, Having to understand baptism is covenantal, it's God-centered, it's faith-focused. Fourthly, it's understood uh, ecclesiologically, which just means church. It's understood by the church. Let me read. So what does it mean when I say baptism is about the church? Let me read. Well, first, firstly, this means that, our, that the baptism is a sign that we've been initiated. Listen, it's a sign that we've been initiated into God's corporate community. Let me read a text for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made a drink of one spirit. You hear what, what I just say? Baptism puts you into what? One body. You know, I, 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 had, I, had a, I had a couple one time come up to me, and they were like, can you baptize my kid? Uh, no, not, not can I baptize him. They, they, want, they were telling me they were going to baptize their kids. So like these parents were just going to baptize, and I was like, and I asked them, I was like, what are you baptizing them into? Oh, well, they believe in Jesus, and what does Jesus baptize us into? Does, 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 does Jesus baptize into us like a, a romantic getaway with him by ourselves forever? Is that what baptism is? Me and Jesus now got this like romantic getaway where we got this wonderful thing. No, baptism places us into his corporate community. It's not a you and Jesus thing. It's a we and him thing. You will not find baptism to be something which is only defined as having a personal relationship with Jesus devoid of his people. You will not find that in the New Testament. Or, or someone else. Look, and I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a bully, okay? Like, you know, you know, a lot of times people get baptized um, in, like, these nonprofits and, like, these, like, you know, halfway houses and stuff. What are they being baptized into? A halfway house? A nonprofit? Oh, it's just Jesus. No, 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 beloved. Baptism is a sign saying that you have been placed into God's covenant community, which is known as the church. So you kind of doing it like over here by yourself or in some institution, that's, that's not what God, and guys, it affects everything. If baptism is about God placing us in his covenant community, that means that my whole Christian life now is in community. You know, what, what, is, the Miami, what is the Miami swagger? Jesus es mi pastor. You know what I'm talking about? They say, well, you know, where you church at? Jesus es mi pastor. 
Basically, me and Jesus got this thing, and I got podcasts, and I got books. But, beloved, if, if baptism is a church covenant community thing that is about us being placed into a body, then we can't see our Christian life, our spirituality, our growth apart from that body he is into demonstrated by baptism, correct? Can't do that. Can't do that. Why? Because it is a big, big C thing, a more than us thing. So it has to be understood in light of the church. It has to. Secondly, it, ha- it means not only that we're initiated into a corporate community, but it means that these are signs that we've been brought into the visible community of God. These are signs that we've been brought into the visible community of God. Let me read a text for you. So Genesis 17, 10, this is my covenant which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You circumcise a foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. So Abraham believes, but then he's commanded to give signs of that, of, that he received by faith. He's, he's commanded to give signs to his kids before faith. Let me read another text for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Now I want you to know, brothers, that all of our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud of the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They all drank from a spiritual walk that was followed, and that, was, that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. You see that? God just said in 1 Corinthians 10 that there was a community of baptized people initiated in the covenant community, and some of them were believers, and some of them were not. Meaning that God's covenant community has always been a mixed community. The visible, not the invisible, the visible church has always been mixed with believers and their kids before faith. Always, always. So you may say, what, what does that matter? Let me, let me give an illustration that may help what I'm talking about. Are you a citizen of the United States just because you live here? There's more to being a citizen than living here, correct? You can live here and not be a citizen. But let me ask another question. If you don't live here, could you say you're a citizen? I'm not talking about like you're, you, have, you have dual citizenship, all that stuff. If you don't live in the United States, can you say you're a citizen? No. To be a citizen, you have to live here to be a citizen. You know what I'm saying? So I, to live in the United States, it doesn't mean that I'm a citizen. You can live here and not be a citizen. But if you say, I don't live here, but I'm a citizen, that don't make no sense. Where am I going with that? To say I'm saved because I'm in the church is not appropriate. You're not saved because you're in your church. Do, 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 do we think that to be part of the church is to be saved? No. But could I say that I'm not, could, 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 I, could I understand myself to be saved and have no connection to a church community? Like, like someone saying, like, I'm a citizen of the U.S., but I've never lived there? No. No. So, being a part of the church is connected to being saved, but it's not the same. Y'all follow me? We must be a part of the church to be saved, but to be a part of the church is not to be saved. So God's community has, the initiated community has always been, the visible initiated community has always been mixed with believers and their children. Always. That's never changed. So we can't say that being a part of the church is to be saved, but we can't say that being a part of the church is not at all to do with our salvation. They're, they're related, but they are not confused. You follow me? So 
It's church-focused, which means that we're, we're baptized into a co- covenant community. It also means that we're initiated into a visible community that's mixed with believers and their children, which is why, you know, I'll read another text for you. Uh, Romans 9, Paul says, uh, but it's not as the, Romans 9, 6, it's not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced to Isaac. So, so Paul is saying, look, there was always a people of God within the people of God. There was always a people of God within the people of God, and the people of God was always a visible mixed community. So that's when I say church-focused. But I'm not done there. So I said covenantal-focused, God-focused, faith-focused, church-focused. The next thing I want to say is that it's understood in light of the end. It's understood in light of the... Oh, I'm sorry. Can I backtrack? Okay. I, need, I had one more sub-point to my church focus. Okay. One more sub-point. So when, when I say church focus, I mean visible. I mean corporate. Thirdly, I mean there are signs. They are signs that mark us into the visible covenant community. So, so baptism is a sign that marks us into the visible community. Matthew 28. Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples by baptizing them. So God says through Jesus Christ that the way that this church, what, what marks off this church is the sign of baptism. What, 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 what separates us from the world, what marks us off from the world is the sign of baptism. There's always something that is really most essential to define people. What, I mean, you know what it is for Hispanics? How do, you, how do I know I'm going to the Hispanics' house? You have a bunch, no, you have a bunch of pictures are, that, are, that are all those fancy pictures of your kids all over the place, you know what I'm talking about? The glamour shots. You know you're in a Hispanic house. That is really, you know, maybe some of you are not, but you know that the distinguishing mark that you're in a Hispanic house is you've got all these glamour pictures of your kids all over the place. It's like you're, you're, in, the, you're in the memorial of children. My question is what is the marking distinguishing mark of the church is it our morality did god say let me give you a sign and seal of your morality you know like you should love your neighbor that's the sign of the church you should be sexually pure that's a sign of the church you should be honest is that a sign that demarks us of course we do those things but is that the sign that god gives us or how about this is our the things that we do and, and, and the activities we do, is that our defining mark? So we, you know, we, we served our community, we served the poor, you know, we do this. Is that what marks us off? No? What about our slogans? How, how, how do we oftentimes distinguish ourselves? We have all these great slogans in the church, Right? But, beloved, what marks us off and what distinguishes us from the world is the sign of baptism, which is the sign of the gospel. Meaning that what distinguishes us from the rest of the world is a sign that points to God's unconditional promises and unconditional grace that he has worked out in Christ. That is what God has given to distinguish the church amongst everyone else. And, beloved, doesn't that change things? If our distinguishing mark is the gospel sign administered to us, then isn't everything in life then about the gospel? Right? I'm, yeah, I better get some amens in here. 
if we're set apart by the gospel sign, that is the most definitive thing which separates us, then everything in our life is about the gospel. Everything in our family is about the gospel. Everything in our church is about the gospel. Everything in our preaching is about the gospel. Everything in our Bible study is about the gospel. Why? Because the church is distinguished by what? A sign and seal of being brought into the gospel. So we're church-focused, but we're not just church-focused. And understanding baptism. Last point, it needs to be understood in light of the end. It needs to be understood in light of the end. So baptism is covenantal, it's God-focused, it's faith-focused, it's church-focused, and lastly, it needs to be understood in light of the end. But what do I mean by that, in light of the end? What, what am I saying? Well, let me say the first thing I'm saying. First thing I'm saying is that baptism is a sign, if believed, that we have entered into the new creation in the present. We've entered into the new creation in the present. I'm going to read a text that may help with that. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 says, From now on, we don't know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we've known Christ in a purely human way, yet we no longer know him this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, baptism points to union with Christ, correct? If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and new things have come. So new creation doesn't mean that now I'm a new person. It means that I've been brought into the new heavens and the new earth in the present. I am now a part of what God will do in the future. That's what I mean. When Paul says new creation, he's talking about something much bigger than you individually. He's talking about now in Christ, through faith, you've been made a part of the new creation now. Let me read another text. Uh, Romans 4.11. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had through faith, while uncircumcised, to make him the father of all who believe who are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be inherit the world was not to the law, but to the righteousness that comes by faith. So Abraham's promise of the gospel that was given to him to be understood to the sign of circumcision was, according to Paul, a sign that he would inherit the whole earth in a new heavens and a new earth. You say, why on earth does that matter? Well, we tend to think of salvation and baptism as just a personal thing, where I personally be, I'm personally made different, I'm personally made better, and we don't see this idea that the baptism points to the fact that I've been brought into a new creation that now I participate in now. Let me give you a picture that may help. Um, if you're in Cuba, and I make you rich in Cuba, what is life, what is life, if I give you a lot of money in Cuba, what, what, what is life going to be like in Cuba where you have a lot of money? Is it going to be like an American? No, because you can have money in Cuba, and certainly it can give you more freedom and more liberties, but you're still in a system that is screwed up. So in order for you to enjoy having money, you need to be more than just being enriched personally. You got to be placed into a better place. You follow me? So baptism is a sign, beloved, that now you have been placed now in the present to be anticipated in the future, a new heavens and a new earth where now in Christ, everything is new, everything is wonderful, everything is awesome, like the Lego song says, because salvation and baptism is not about just God making you a better person. It's by God placing you in a new creation, a new cosmos, where in Christ is glorious and defines everything. 
So you may think, why does this matter? Well, look, baptism is so awesome. It's a sign that's telling you that your body sucks. All y'all here broken down. If you're over 25, you're on the way down. Body's broken down. But because you have believed in your baptism, you now are participating in something which will result in a perfect, glorified, awesome body. All y'all going to be the bomb, even though you're breaking down. You say, man, like my family is so broken. My life is so broken. My morality is so broken. You know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And, you know, like I still act like I did when I wasn't a Christian. Can y'all, y'all, y'all relate to me? Or, 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 we, or, or we still got people here that think that everything is new and everything is awesome and they don't even know nothing about that old life no more. No, our life is still broken. Our temptations are still real. But baptism tells us that one day, one day we are secure and safe and sound because of the work of Christ, that we will be perfect and sinless and God-centered and just things will just be perfect one day because we are now participating by faith in the new heavens and new earth. Society is broken. I don't care who you have in office. This country will be at best Horrible. Doesn't matter who's in office. Doesn't matter what family you're in. You get divorced with this person. You get married to someone else. Doesn't matter if you have this kid with this personality, the other personality. It doesn't matter if you live in Georgia or if you go to California or if you go to North Carolina. You will always find yourself in a broken reality. But baptism says that we now are participating and secure and safe in an awesome, glorious creation where everything will be good. We are there now in parts waiting for it in full in the future. So baptism is about the end, beloved. It's not just about us having a personally better life. Let's say a few more things about the end. It means that we have entered into God's eternal verdict of saved and loved and accepted in the present. Listen to me. We have entered into God's eternal verdict in the present. Let me read a text for you that may help. Colossians 3, 1 says, So if you've been raised with Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not as what is on the earth. For you have died, listen, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed in glory, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So you know what I'm saying there? It's like what you are now in Christ, your position in Christ is not that evident. <laughs> so you walk around to people and you say, hey man, I have the 100%, 1,000% favor of God. And they look at you and they're like, Really? You got that with God? I don't know. Y'all, y'all look all nice when you go to church and you walk out the driveway, but I've been hearing you behind the doors and all what y'all be saying. You, you have this status, this approval, this vindication, this justification before God? Yes, because my baptism tells me that that final approval I already have now in Christ. So it's almost like this. I've been in court a lot, so I know, what it, I know what it's like. When you go to court, you get before the prosecutor, and, yeah, and you, you can do this. You can enter into a plea, 
that will result in you getting a favorable verdict later. You follow me? You enter into a plea and you plead guilty, which then results in a favorable verdict later, for sure. There's no surprises. That's why you enter into a plea, right? Beloved, baptism is a sign saying that now God has declared you to be perfectly righteous because Jesus Christ obeyed for every single thing that you should have done. He died for every sinful thing that you have done wrong. And now God has given you a verdict that will result in a favorable verdict in the future. You're not waiting to see what God's going to say to you when you die. You know, you, know, you, know, you know what most, I think most of our lives are very stressful because we're, we're just like waiting for like what people will say after we finish what we're doing. What will my, what will my wife say after I finish in the kitchen? That's funny, man. Okay, this is not. What will my wife say after I finish in the kitchen? What will my kids say after my life is over? What will the world say after I graduate and I live my life? What will my parents say? What will society say? (laughs) But beloved, justification of the gospel is so amazing. We already know what God's going to say in the end. What's God's going to say when your life is over? What he's saying now, that I love you. I have right relationship with you. You are saved. You are righteous. You are good. You are perfect. You are blameless. You are spotless. Now, because of Christ's sake, doing what he did for you now, and when you die and the whole world ends and all your life becomes before God, all of your things you've said and done, all of your parenting, all of your singleness, everything is brought before God. What are you going to hear? Accepted, beloved, righteous, because the declaration of the gospel and baptism is something that's telling you what God's going to tell you in the end. Beloved, and that's so... Have you, have you heard of the idea now that in the church of future justification? Future justification says this. Based upon what you do with your justification, so I believe in Christ and I get this status, based upon how I act after baptism, I will see before the judgment seat of God, as he looks at all of my spirit-empowered works and he sees all my Christianity, God's going to say, all right, good verdict, But, beloved, baptism tells us that we already got that good verdict, and we know what God's going to say in the end. I know what God's going to say to me in the end. You know what he's going to say to you in the end? Righteous, accepted, secure, because Christ gave all that to you, and that's what's pointed in baptism. So I already know what God's going to say about me. I I already know what God's going to say about you in the end because it's a sign that we've entered into God's eternal verdict in the presence. That is good news. I'll say a few more things. It's also a sign that we've entered into Satan's future defeat in the present. We've entered into Satan's future deceit in the present. Colossians 2.14, it's continuing the discussion of baptism. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he's taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly, and he triumphed over them by him. You see that? What happened to Satan because of the cross? I read it again. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Let me give you a picture that may help what I'm talking about. Um, What happens when you do something shady, really, really, really shady as a married person, and or you do something really, really shady at work, like you steal something and someone finds out about it, and they say, look, 
I'm not going to tell what you did, but you better be in line because I'm going to hold it against you. You know what I'm talking about? Because you can't come up out in the open with what happened. Someone knows you cheated on your wife. Someone knows you stole something. Someone, because you can't come out in the open, you now are enslaved and controlled and like just basically oppressed. But how, how does that oppression leave you? By coming out in the open. Once you know that I stole, well, the politician comes out that he stole, you can't, you can't oppress me no more. You can't control me no more because I'm just coming out in the open. Once I come out and confess my adultery, you can't control my life anymore. And what we got, that's Satan's power over us, beloved. You know, how, you know what Satan's power over, over you is? He has stuff on you. He knows what you do. And he, 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 uh, he goes to your conscience and he tells you all the time things that you do. And he holds it against you and he accuses you. And he works within you through things outside of you to basically guilt you. And you feel like you must hide and be a certain way and be controlled by the devil because he's got something on you. Correct? But Paul says that baptism says that Satan has been disarmed in the present. So because Christ took all of your unrighteousness, he took all of your sinfulness and was punished in full for everything sinful that you have done, the devil could accuse you for. And on top of that, he obeyed for everything that you should have done. Now the devil has no capacity to accuse you. There's nothing he can say. You're not worthy. Yes, so what? Christ is. You're sinful. So what? Christ is the sin bearer. You don't deserve to be a child of God. You're not. You're, you look at you. Look at your life. Yes, but Christ is the beloved. You are pathetic. You on your best day. Look at you. Yes, but Christ, the last and final Adam, was perfect and righteous. So what? He has no fangs no more. It's like the devil is like a cobra in this room that can only gum you. Go ahead, bite me. Go ahead, accuse me. The fangs of the devil, which is sin that accused me before God, has been removed by the gospel. So now Satan has been defeated in full now, though I don't experience it in full now. So you know what that means? All the Star Wars devil fighting in Miami is ridiculous. You know what I'm talking about? Everyone's fighting the devil around every corner. It's like Star Wars, you know? Yo, devil has been defanged and defeated, not by your Star Wars stuff, not by your words and your hoopla hoopla, but by the power of the gospel and resurrection. That's how the devil has been defeated. Now he's done. He's canceled now. And baptism points to the fact that Christ has disarmed the devil and he has no power to do anything to you. He's been defeated. No need for Star Wars Christianity. You know what I'm talking about? No need because he has been defeated in full and now I participate in that and that's made visible by baptism. So look, I know this is a long sermon, but man, I I feel like there's so much richness in baptism that we lose in the church and it just becomes just some water ritual for righteous people to be righteous or some, so, but beloved, baptism, let me, let me conclude everything. 
Beloved, if, 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 if the gospel is about Christ's promises towards you, then baptism cannot be about your promises to Christ. It must be about his promises to you to rest in. If the gospel is about God's wonderful works for you, where Christ gives you a new story, a new narrative, a new reality because of what he did, then baptism cannot be about you being a better you. Baptism is not synchronized swimming. You know what synchronized swimming is? Say yes or no. It's people in the water where they're doing all these amazing things. That's how Christians act. <laughs> like the waters of baptism are all about me having this great testimony and doing all these great things with the water. No, it's not. Baptism is about the greatness and supreme and, and wonderful works of God in Christ for you. It's about faith, beloved. Baptism is calling us to faith. It's calling us to trust. It's calling us to rest. It's calling us to receive. It's not calling us to have a more better spirituality, a more higher commitment, a more better you to then get baptized. It's about receiving and resting and trusting in the God behind baptism. Beloved, baptism is about the church. It's about how God has put you into this wonderful community of saints who all are united to one head. Beloved, baptism is not about God making you a better Christian by yourself. It's about him making you who you are through his community. And lastly, baptism is not about God helping us get to the end. The grace of God, the grace of God pointing to him in baptism helps me get to the end. It's about how the end has come to us. It's come to us. Our justification, our salvation, our redemption has come to us and is made visible in baptism. So now we rest in a new creation that we have in full now that we don't experience. So we rest in a verdict that we're right with God now, but we don't experience it in full. We are now experiencing what we know is coming to us because of Christ's sake. Isn't baptism such a wonderful sign? Isn't it such a rich sign? So we'll do one, one, one more. How can you say one more? How can you do another one? Trust me, I can. Do one more next week, and then we'll do the Lord's table. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us little kids who forget, who don't trust, who fumble, who just seem like we just, it seems like you're so far. You've given us a picture of your grace, of your promises, of the end that we have in Christ. So thank you, Lord. Help us, help us, God, give us more pictures of this to celebrate. Give us more baptisms of all kinds to celebrate this grace that makes the gospel visible to us. In your name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website reconcilechurchmiami.org.